One of my earliest memories starts with me sobbing. I refused to be soothed no matter what mom and dad tried. Dad gave up and left the bedroom, but mom took me into the kitchen and sat me down at the breakfast table. Kun Kun, she said, as she pulled a sheet of wrapping paper from on top of the fridge. For years, mom carefully sliced open the wrappings around Christmas gifts and saved them on top of the fridge in a thick stack. She set the paper down, plain side facing up, and began to fold it. I stopped crying and watched her, curious. She turned the paper over and folded it again. She pleated, packed, tucked, rolled, and twisted until the paper disappeared between her cupped hands. Then she lifted the folded up paper packet to her mouth and blew into it, like a balloon. Can, she said. Lauhu. She put her hands down on the table and let go. A little paper tiger stood on the table, the size of two fists placed together. The skin of the tiger was the pattern on the wrapping paper, white background with red candy canes and green Christmas trees. I reached out to mom's creation. Its tail twitched and it pounced playfully at my finger. Rarsa, it growled, the sound somewhere between a cat and rustling newspapers. I laughed, startled, and stroked its back with an index finger. The paper tiger vibrated under my finger, purring. Zhizhao Zhizhi, mom said. This is called origami. I didn't know this at the time, but mom's kind was special. She breathed into them so that they shared her breath and thus moved with her life. This was her magic. You've got a little time. We've got a little podcast. It's Short Story Short Podcast. I'm Chris, here as always with... Christy Baxter. And Christy, short stories are a dime a dozen. We've got the dime. What story did we read 12 times? <laughs> well, I mean, I, I only read it once, kind of twice, but Paper Menagerie by Ken Liu. Excellent. Yes. The first story to ever win the Hugo Nebula and Lo World Fantasy Award. I think it also won the Locus Award uh, in the same year. Uh, an amazingly beautiful, highly sentimental story of another highly unlikable character. <laughs> 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 yes we keep on seeing those unlikable characters it's almost like we're drawn to them before we get started i do want to uh we did look up pronunciations of the the words in mandarin prior to the recording but uh if we got any of those wrong i just want to apologize if i got any of those wrong i want to apologize uh we, we did try uh, i know exactly zero words of mandarin so this is uh well now i know some <laughs> there you go I know, like four now. <laughs> yes, and I, I think you gave it a college try, and I'm going to mispronounce at least one English word in response, um, just because I don't respect anything. Um, <laughs> what What's amazing about this story, when you look at it in light of some of the other stories we've read, and in fact, there's a lot about the paper menagerie that actually reflects back on the man who went to the moon twice. It's this idea of how time deadens our sense of the fantastic. And in this case, there is a, a very specific point where that happens. Because you can predict the man in the 
they went to the moon twice, he was ground down. But here, there's a very specific point where break, where Jack just decided to become an asshole, <laughs> literally. But at the same time, yeah, it's a stereotype, but teenagers, man, you know, I can look back on my teenage years and, and cringe at some of the, the ways that I behaved, especially towards my parents. And gosh, I remember my mom used to always say, what happened to my happy little girl? And I was like, she, she, she got hormones. Like, come on, (laughs) (laughs) it happens to everyone. But yeah, like it's definitely that experience of becoming a teenager, breaking with your parents. Although the reasons here are probably more harsh and painful than the standard that, you know, like, oh, don't tell me what to do. And, you know, I can do what I want, whatever. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there, there is a point though in this, thing where I can see him turning up the collar of his jean jacket uh and you know what's what's fascinating is you know I grew up very much like Jack in this I grew up with a dad who did not look like me uh you know he was a sepia toned version of me in a way (laughs) and there is that tension of you can either reject that or you can want to be more of it but you are always distanced from it and that shows really, really precisely here. And the whole fact that she was a mail order bride <laughs> that his father purchased probably didn't help things. Yeah, it, it feels like this is one of those situations where finding a middle ground is damn near impossible. You know, it's the the, the whole idea of assimilation is you become more like the culture that you're, you're standing in now. And every, you know, it, it doesn't necessarily have to be a zero sum game, but no matter what, you only have so much room for so much culture. I mean, I could be wrong, but I, I, haven't, I haven't experienced any of this myself. So I can't really say one way or the other, but I feel like there's pressures from either side. There's pressure from family to remain in, you know, in, in your, your ethnic culture. And there's pressure from, you know, like, like Jack experiences with the, the kids at school and the neighborhood ladies and everything. And those pressure, the, those winds, you know, buffeting you back and forth and back and forth, you can't stay on that middle ground. It's too wobbly. Yeah, exactly. And one of the things that this story does is it uses magical realism. And I'd say this falls directly in magical realism. For sure. Uh, as an expression of this sort of other, there's an otherworldliness to his mother through that, through the ability to give origami animals life. And I think that that sort of distancing is actually very important in that it gives a, he specifically rejects that until the end. Mm -hmm. And that, acceptance you know where he has the little tiger coming with him and i just love the thing he unfolds himself and lets him read the note the tiger that had been animated that had been dead and then was back unfolds himself so he can read the letter and then folds himself back and then he goes out purring and it's adorable and it's pure jerking um and yet (laughs) not schmaltzy because the letter itself is pretty depressing (laughs) (laughs) and there's yeah, the letter the letter is depressing, but it, it definitely taps into something that is is a universal experience. You have these two aspects of the story. I feel like the story that is specific to people who are trying to straddle that line between two cultures and their experience, and the, also the 
experience that we all do, no matter where we come from, uh, who our parents are, the experience we all have of you don't know your parents. You know, you don't, you don't, you came along when they were what, you know, 18, 20, 25, 30, however many years into their life. And they lived so much of a life before you came along. And that's what Jack learns at the end. He learns his mother's life before he came along. And then a little bit after when he couldn't, you know, specifically remember it, but that is so universal. I think that's probably one reason why this won so many prizes is because we can all relate to that. We all grew up and thought we knew our parents. And then I'm sure just about everybody can say at some point, there was a surprise. <laughs> Correct. There it is. And what's odd is my surprise was I have like five siblings, apparently. <laughs> oh, my. Oh, my. Uh, yeah. Weird. Um, but uh, what's fascinating here is that in the, the language of the story, I think he tries to make us actively dislike Jack at points. Um, the line that I comes hope to so mind, because it's successful. It's very successful. <laughs> uh, the line, um, "Mom died when I was somewhere over Nevada." Uh, that was like, yeah, real, real jerk there. <laughs> yeah, it's just, and it's, it's the everything leading up to that moment too. The the fact that he can't even concentrate on his dying mother because he's too busy thinking about all these like little things he has to do which granted are are you know, probably important for his future but take a beat man take a second for god's sakes and so yeah there's definitely uh, this feeling of uh, probably somewhat intentionally unlikable but that's everybody's every character has to have flaws again we've we've talked about that that you have to have characters with flaws and that's how uh, you have character growth is by helping to not necessarily fix those flaws but smooth them out sometimes you know and i think that's what happens here with with jack as we get the actual character growth uh that he understands more about his mother's past and is able to connect with her even you know long after she's gone and I love that when he, when the tiger returns, returns to life and comes to him, he says, I think, what is it? Hey there, little buddy. Uh, and that's like the most white bread American <laughs> greeting you can give <laughs> to a magical tiger. <laughs> yes, that is true. I didn't catch that, but yeah, it is. He's still... He's still super American, but he he does still try to grasp onto those things, you know, like the the Chinese character for uh, Ai. I, I, again, pronunciations. I'm so sorry, but uh, like the. Uh, so yeah, I, I think it's it's definitely. I think the story leaves you with some hope that he'll be able to uh, hold on more to some of his the the, the culture and history from his mother's side now that but the the problem is is that she she was never able to give it to him you know growing up mm -hmm. and that's, yeah and he, yeah he I denied would, her that yeah he denied her that but i would say that's that's one teeny tiny teeny tiny little flaw in that i feel like it's almost like 
I hate saying this about a story that's won so many awards, but somebody's got to be a critic. Um, the, the whole rom-com miscommunication thing, you know, that, that particular trope of, oh, well, he doesn't know what she's been through. And so he treats her badly because he's unaware. And so it's sort of a little bit reminiscent of that. And it, it just ever so slightly just bumps up against my suspension of disbelief because I'm like, at some point, even if she can't tell him, she could have written that letter like she wrote um, and, and had somebody translate it for her. She could have sat him down, you know, and, and said, look, you know, we're going to talk about this. You need to know my history. And I think if she was serious enough, then he wouldn't be a jackass about it, maybe, you know, or had his father step in any of these, 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 there's several options here that feels, it feels like they weren't in any way tried for. And so that in just the tiniest way, just like, as I was reading, I was like, I just really think there should have been some way you could have done this before you died. You obviously don't hang around with my family. Because <laughs> that's us. I, I know communication in some families is poor. Uh, I am the communicator of my family. So uh, I know how that goes. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah i get it but it, it just feels like it's so important and i, I don't know it just I, I feel a little guilty for it bothering me and i shouldn't because i'm allowed to have opinions damn it <laughs> correct oh wow two in one episode <laughs> two in <an> episode <laughs> cold <Yeah>. metal <laughs> And I think one of the other reasons why this story is so successful is that Ken is so good at providing details through those little bits that he gets how to signal very, very quickly. He's not a huge describer, with the exception of when he described the skin of the tiger, which was great. <laughs> Yes, and there's also there's there's some of that wonderful uh, surprising language that I always gravitate towards. My favorite line, I think, is "contempt felt good, like wine." Yeah, don't uh, we all feel that when we get on Twitter? So much contempt, so much wine. Yeah, <laughs> all of both. <laughs> yes. All right. Well, I really, really am glad I got to talk about this one because it is a story that. Uh, he won his Hugo the night I lost to Neil Gaiman. So we have that in common. And I think go. I met him at the party afterwards uh, where uh, I believe the exact words uh, exchanged between us is, hey, have you seen Dan Harmon? I think that was the, the extent of him just shaking his head and I walking away. Um, I feel bad about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, we got to talk about his story. So I think uh, you too have redeemed yourself. Correct. <laughs> Three. <laughs> Three, Pete. All right. Well, got anything else? Uh, no, I think that's uh, that's about it. So, hey, Christy. Yes. What are we going to read next week? We are going to read "I'll Be Waiting" by Raymond Chandler. Yeah. <laughs> I love Raymond Chandler. Uh, such a crime nerd. <laughs> And I think this is our first, you know, like noir, pulpy kind of story that we've gone to. So as far as genre is concerned, we're branching. We're branching out. That's right. Like, we're looking at we're looking at new things. We're smiling. 
we're treating the world like we can go outside and do stuff what's what stuff i don't i don't know those words <laughs> correct <laughs> wow okay <laughs> now now you're just pandering to me <laughs> yes yes i am <laughs> All right. Well, then we will talk to you all next week. I'm very excited. I get to break out some Chandler and I'm probably going to end up reading everything else in the book and forgetting to read the story. So <laughs> that's how these things work. Yeah. And that'll be the first episode we're recording in 2021. Woohoo! Beyond exciting. the Hellscape. That is 2020. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's hope we're beyond the Hellscape. I'm just hoping that all the horror ends at midnight on December 31st. That's how it works, right? Yeah, I hope that this is the year of the horror. This is the horror story. The next one is the fantasy or the rom-com. That could be fun. Maybe it'll be a noir. Are you saying I shouldn't trust my wife and I should probably not buy insurance? Probably. And uh, I got a trench coat. I'm happy to, to break out of the, the closet. Well, that'll be our first cosplay episode. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, everyone, this has been... Short story. Short podcast. Cha-ching. Mm -hmm.